Hebrews 4:11 to 16, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even as heaven and earth shall pass away, the Lord has declared that his word shall never pass away. It endures forever. May he bless it. Well, we uh, come to uh, the means of grace uh, that we uh, simply call prayer. And we've been looking at these various means of grace. And by that phrase, we mean those ordinances that Christ uh, has established and uses by His Spirit to bestow upon His people, to bestow upon the elect of God all of those spiritual blessings that the Father has for us in Christ Jesus. All of those blessings of His saving mercy. And this is all couched in that understanding uh, that it meets us in Christ. It meets us in Christ by His, His perfect sinless life. It meets us by His cursed death and His resurrection. It meets us in that work that He has done to not just accomplish our salvation, but to apply that salvation and all of the benefits of that salvation to us. We often think of the great inheritance that is waiting for us with uh, with the the gospel and and with that uh, salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us, eternal life and glory. But we know that there are many other benefits than just simply we are going to be with Christ for all eternity. Not that that's a simple thing. But I'm, I'm putting it in this way, that there are so many benefits and blessings that God is prepared to give us and bestow upon us in this life. And and these ordinances, these means of grace, they meet us for that purpose. Things like the need of forgiveness every day. How do you receive forgiveness? The things of like being renewed in the knowledge that God is your God and, and you are His child, that He is with you. Uh, the healing 
that our souls need often as we uh, battle and struggle with life in this world. Uh, The cleansing uh, that we need of sins that we aren't even aware of that are in our lives. And just the strength and the joy and the peace and above all, and I know this is above all, the patience that we need to get along in life without grumbling and complaining. How do we do that? (laughs) And God has said, here are my means to help you. And all of the blessings and benefits of my salvation in my Son to be bestowed upon you. Now, come and receive them. (laughs) And we've seen how the Word of God, not just read, but especially the Word of God being preached is one of the preeminent things. God, by His Spirit, teaches us, renews us, revives our soul in the ministry of His Word. And the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, they come and they bring that testimony again by faith and by the Spirit. They bring that testimony of who we are and what Christ has done for us and how uh, we are with our God and all of these things meet us. Means of grace. And, and they're there for our, our taking, if you will. Reaching out in faith to receive what God wants to give. Well, we're at this whole issue now of prayer. And I purposely, and as our catechisms, both the larger and shorter do, they purposely spend a greater amount of time and focus on the matter of prayer. Uh, The larger catechism has 19 questions that end 196 questions. The last 19 questions are all about prayer and the place and necessity and the blessing of prayer that is for us in Christ. And and I I was thinking, as much as we realize, if, if the Spirit of God and the Word of God are the chief resources by which we gain faith in Christ and by which our faith in Christ is nurtured. For you know Romans 10, uh, 17, so faith comes by the hearing of the Word. We realize that that is the, the chief resource by which we gain faith in Christ. Well then I would say prayer is the chief means of grace that shows our faith in action. Prayer is faith at work, (laughs) if I can put it that way. That if you believe God, then what is one of the most preeminent things you are to be doing and ought to be doing? And that is praying. And I do believe that's why uh, the catechism spend that time focused on prayer at the end of all its teachings. And so with that, we come to, to think on what is prayer. And I direct your attention to the catechism question on the back of your bulletin, number 178, what is prayer? And it might be, as we read this, we might think, well, isn't it much more than that? And of course it is. 
Uh, there's still 18 more questions after that. <laughs> but this is a definition that, that gets us understanding. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of His Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. And it's borrowing from many places within Scripture that speak about praying and making your supplications known to God with thanksgiving or seeking and and offering up the desires of your heart to the Lord and He will hear them and respond to you. But it's that key phrase almost in the middle there, in the name of Christ that I want us to focus on this evening. Prayer in the name of Christ and what that means. We understand prayer is of God's people. Prayer is required of us. If you are not praying, my friends, that's an act of unbelief. That is your heart not just simply saying, I really don't have anything I need from God. That is the pride of the heart that is not humbled enough to come to God, to seek God, to seek His help. We are commanded to pray. And not a few places, but I'll mention just this one uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, towards the end, verses 16 uh, to 18, when he says there, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, that's uh, something just just to bear in mind with that that particular verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, in particular, verses 17 and 18. And you stop and you think, okay, what is God's will for me? Well, there's a few places where God is very, very specific. (laughs) My will for you is that you pray. That you seek me. That you come before me with your desires and and with your needs and supplications, with your confessions of sins, with your thanksgiving. You come and you seek and you pray to me and you do this without ceasing. Says my tie, uh, the verse from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You know, lean not upon your own understanding. Don't trust in your own heart but acknowledge God in all your ways and He will direct your steps. And God sets prayer as one of the great wills that He has for us uh, along with sanctification and many other things. But in particular, prayer is required. And the thing about prayer that we also acknowledge, not only is it required, But it's a privilege. We get to come to God in heaven and say, God, can I have your help, your grace, your mercy, your strength, your countenance, your blessing. It's required. It's granted to us a privilege And yet, I'm speaking for all of us, it is the most challenging part of our Christian life. 
It is the most challenging part of our devotion to God. It is the most challenging part of our daily life to say, this sweet hour of prayer belongs to God. Isn't that true? And and we're not alone in that struggle. I'm not... Uh, you know, saying that so that it excuses us, but it's a reality. I think of the hymn writer uh, in our hymn book, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I love how the first verse sort of shocks you (laughs) because it starts out, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Starts out wonderful, warm, and just reminding of us, us of that, that glorious privilege that we have to come to God in prayer. And, and, but then it quickly changes. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. <laughs> oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, it's not a new problem. It's a challenge of our own life. Uh, I think it comes in two forms. One is a presumption that we have in our own hearts. God knows my trouble. He sees them. Lord, look at my life. You see what needs to be done. Let your will be done. And we get away with that simple prayer and thinking, okay, I've given it over to God. Like, David would say in Psalm 19, keep me back from presumptuous sins. I I think that's one of our, our great challenges. We presume God's care. We presume God's mercy. When we are slow to repent of our sins as believers, it's often because we know our sins are covered. I'm really sorry and God can see my heart. But that isn't praying for repentance. It isn't confession of sin. We struggle with other areas of prayer even in the life of the church. Corporate prayer and intercession and supplication for one another and and coming together to be God's people in prayer and seeking our God together, and the, the unity that that brings before the throne of God. And we struggle because it's hard. And we presume, well, God knows our cares, and we'll just leave it to Him. Presumption is one of our enemies, but the other also is, and, and this is going to be hard, but just the general laziness of our hearts. When you consider, again, I I do believe the issue of time with God is a big thing for believers today. That we can give ourselves over to so many things in the run of a day, but to spend even 10 to 15 solid minutes in prayer with God. How many of us are able to do that every day? It's hard, but there is a laziness to our hearts. And we don't realize, as the hymn says, what peace we forfeit, 
what pains we bear because we haven't carried it to God in prayer. And this is where coming to uh, this this part of the catechism and this issue of prayer in the name of Christ and our text that's before us, particularly uh, Hebrews 4 verses 4 to 16, comes to take us to Christ and to see what means of grace that the, the Father has opened up to us in His Son. And for us to love Christ and pray in that respect. Prayer in the name of Christ. I want us to consider first why Christ is essential. Not a question, but a statement. Christ is essential to our prayers. We know that the Lord Himself has opened that way for us. If you go to John 14, we know John 14, 6, and it's a wonderful verse. You, know, you, you all know it by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And for most of us, I think, we often take that verse in line of salvation alone. But when you take it in context of the whole chapter, it's in the context of you have the way open to the Father to pray to Him, to seek Him with all your heart, to lay all of your cares and burdens before Him, and the Father will hear you. Why? I am the way and the truth and the life, and you have that way to the Father through me. And we know that because you get down to verses 13 and 14 and Jesus makes these unqualified statements in John 14. Whatever you ask in My name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Did that shock you? Let me tell you again. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it. Unqualified. Well, we know it's not necessarily unqualified. It is qualified by Jesus' own prayer in the garden where He says, Not My will, but Yours be done. And Father, if it is Your will for me to endure this suffering to Your glory, let Your will be done. We know there's a qualification. The will of God. That God will use and utilize all things to serve His glory and His purposes and our good. And sufferings and hardships and endurance of those things may be part of it. But what Jesus says there, come and ask me. Whatever you have on your heart, come and ask me and I will do it. Is there anything that He will not do for you? This isn't that health and wealth and prosperity, word of faith, gospel that names it, claims it, and frames it and all of that jazz. (laughs) It isn't that at all. It's a heart that's saying, God, I need you. And Christ is saying, ask me. (laughs) What can I do for you? Oh, how timid we become. It's like the person whom we know is in need and we go to them and we want to help them and we say to them, what can I do for you? Well, nothing, thanks. We've got it all handled. We don't though, do we? (laughs) And this is what Christ is saying to us. I want to help you. (laughs) Ask. I'll do it. 
Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the essential nature of prayer. Christ. To pray in the name of Christ is to say, He's my life and my way and my truth. He's not a sugar daddy. You know, that's such a vain and foul way to think of God. He is our comforter, our friend, our shepherd, our helper, our sustainer, our keeper. And and you come to, to our text and look what it says there in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, My dear friends, do we realize what Christ has opened to us? The Heavenly Father and the storehouse of grace at His command. And how essential Christ is because we know from other passages there there is no other mediator between God and man except for the man Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5. When we stop to think, we we realize that, that this is what God has done for us so that we can pray in the name of Christ and receive the help and the spiritual blessings that the Father has for us in the Son. Christ, the Son of God, became man so that He could be our great High Priest before God in everything, in all things. And as our great High Priest, He becomes our Advocate, the One who comes and speaks to the Father on our behalf to say, Father, look at this child whom I have saved and who's crying out to me and asking me for this. And Father, I want You to give it to him Give it to Him. What an interchange in the heavenly places occurs when we pray. Because we have a great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God. And when it says there, knowing that we have this great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is that confession? We just confessed it. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God, our Lord. How do you hold fast to that confession? You pray in Jesus' name. You pray. And that's what the larger catechism number 180 says. What is it to pray in the name of Christ? And picking it up halfway through. It's not just the bare mentioning of His name. But when we say, Father, I am before You in the name of Your Son, we are drawing our encouragement to pray, our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and His mediation. We realize what is the Lord Jesus doing in heaven right now for us. He is mediating with the Father on our behalf. 
He's the great high priest. If you back up just a little bit, maybe it's just turning a page in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. And you get down to verse 17 and you see this very same thing being made there about Christ as our merciful and faithful high priest. He had to be made like His brethren. In other words, the Son of God became a man so that He could be that merciful high, and merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God on our behalf. How is it that this foolish, wretched, sinful man can come to the high and holy, infinite, eternal God of heaven and say, hello God, I'm here. I'm not trying to be crass, but that, that simplicity of thought just makes us realize, how, indeed, how can I enter His presence? And it's because we have this great high priest, the very Son of God who took to Himself our image so that He could now represent us to the Father in everything that we stand in need of pertaining to God. And of course, the most prominent things is propitiation for our sins. That that forgiveness and cleansing from our sins, that acceptance as righteous that we need before God. Christ becomes our mediator in those things and as our mediator in those things, He opens up to us the the storehouse of God's grace. There is no other name by which we can come to the Father But God is saying to you, I've given you that name. (laughs) Use Him. And that brings us secondly to this point of why Christ is effectual. He is essential. He is effectual. And you see it again in our passage in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Again, this is talking about where Jesus Christ is. Our Father has purposed His Son to be seated at His right hand. Why? For the expressed purpose of being that mediator for us. (laughs) For the highest reason. We confessed it again. Hold fast to our confession. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Why is He there? To mediate for us in everything. You get over to Hebrews 8, and that point is made again in in the opening verses of that chapter. Here's the point of the things that we are saying. The main point. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which God erected, which the Lord erected for us. We have this man, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who has been placed there by God Himself for this purpose. I need such a mediator 
who will now come and allow my mercy and grace to flow justly to my people and allow these people in my mercy and grace to plead before my throne and in your name I will hear them. And he's there for that expressed purpose. He is seated. What what does it say there? I think it says even more than that. He is seated at the right hand. When you read in in verse 16 of our text, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We're coming to Christ. Christ is the throne of grace in that sense. But, But He's seated on the throne of grace. Again, for that express purpose of dispensing mercy and grace to help us. And do we capture the glory of that work of Christ? How effectual He is as our priest on our behalf. When you read, and we're going to get the fuller passage, but when you read Psalm 66 verse 18, what does it say there? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you have iniquity in your heart? Yeah. Have you regarded iniquity in your thoughts and in your mouth and with your hands this day or this past week? Yeah. We've sinned. That's part of our understanding about the struggle we have as believers walking in holiness and godliness before our our God is that we, we still sin. We yet struggle with sin. How can the Lord hear me? Well, that's because He hears us through His Son. Jesus was able to say, because He did not regard iniquity in His heart, Jesus is able to say, John 11.41, Father, I thank You that You have heard me and I know that You always hear me. Always. You see what He's saying? is that when we come to the Father in the name of Christ, He hears us. (laughs) We are enveloped in the righteousness of His Son to be received by the Father, to be heard by God. And John writes in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, what does that do for us? Well, that effectual of our Lord and Savior gives us confidence. Hear these, hear these words. It's, it's worth memorizing. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in Christ. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Isn't that marvelous? This is is the effectualness of our Savior at the Father's right hand. I dare to say that as Christians, we might... Say, yes, I know that. But when it talks about knowing these things, it's saying, is this an intimate knowledge that you exercise in your life? Because if it is, man, we should be on our knees all the time. Because we know the Father hears us in Christ. And that brings us again to our last point, why Christ is exceptional. 
And it comes out here in Hebrews 4.14 to 16. Particularly in verse 15. When it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see what the Hebrew writer is trying to show us is Christ as our glorious, not just our great, but our glorious high priest. And you look at the larger catechism and what it, what it says there about this. Why is Christ exceptional? It's because we are able to draw our encouragement to pray and our boldness and strength and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ. Because we don't just have a God and a Lord who is up there. We have someone who is able to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses. Let's confess this. It is not easy to live as a Christian. It is hard. I I mean, there's joy to it. There really is. There's hope to it. We have peace. But it's hard. We often joke, you know, one of the things we need the most is patience. But we dare not pray for it. Why? (laughs) Because it means trials. (laughs) I don't believe we should be praying for patience. I believe what he is saying is that patience will be learned through your trials. It's the joy we need to endure those trials. Because God is working patience in us. To live as a Christian is not easy. We deal with temptation and sin every day. We war against the desires of the flesh and boy, that's a struggle. We live as foreigners in this world and face persecution. We have bodies of death that are afflicted and infirmed. Suffering is the very nature of human life in a fallen world. It's Hard. And if anybody says, oh, it's easy to be a Christian, then they're not really living the life of a Christian. It's hard. But the thing is, we have a high priest who knows. He was here on earth, he came in humanity. Jesus, in His humanity, lived and walked His life as a man wholly dependent upon the power of the Spirit to endure all things faithfully to the Lord. It was not His deity that that shone through. It was in His humanity, the reliance upon the Holy Spirit that enabled Him to live that sinless life and the life of glory to the Lord. But was it easy? Do we think that Jesus just simply waved Satan away in the desert when we read those words, after 40 days he was hungry and Satan came and said to him, turn this rock into bread and feed yourself if you are the Son of God. And we think, well that wasn't hard, he's, he's God. So he was able to say, no. He was hungry. Uh, 40 days hungry. Speak to me, I can be like a bear after one day of being hungry. <laughs> Our kids, <laughs> when they're hungry, 
There's no end to their whining. We have that corruption within us. Jesus endured that. He lived for 30 years under the authority of His mom and His dad who were not perfect. They weren't, there's no such thing as perfect parents. Jesus lived under that. He lived our humanity, enduring all things, and in fact, coming to that point in that sinlessness that He, he uh, lived out, coming to that point where He was unjustly put to death. He knows these things. He knows, if I can reflect on this morning, the injustice of having things unrighteously taken away from us. And yet, He was without sin. And He did all of that so that He could be personally acquainted with each one of us in all of our weaknesses. Isn't that exceptional? And He's saying here, This is who we have. Why are you afraid to say to God, Lord, this has been the hardest day of my life. I really am angry in my soul. Will you come and deal with my anger and subdue it so that I should not sin against you? Christ knows that anger. I'm frustrated with my children. Or I'm frustrated with my parents. Or my co-workers. God, how can I continue to work in this place with the absurdity and idiocy of those I work with? Just bear in mind, they're probably saying the same thing. <laughs> but Jesus knows that. He was without sin. And as our sinless high priest, we are able to come to one who says to us, Not, suck it up. Look, you deserve this. I'm tired of your whining. I'm tired of your complaining. He doesn't do that. Isn't it interesting? And it's, It's always one of those classic examples when you go to Numbers 20 and Moses gets angry with the people of God for grumbling and complaining and wanting to go back to Israel after 40 years in the desert and they're just about ready to go into the promised land and you can just see in Moses' head he's saying, no, not this again. I don't want to spend another 40 years in this desert. And and God hears the, the bitter complaining of His people and does He come down to Moses and say, strike them with the rod. <laughs> no, what does He say? I want to hallow my name in their presence. Speak to the rock. I want to give them refreshing water. That's our Lord. Because He knows how hard this world is. And He stands there ready to help us. And to pray in Jesus' name is to pray to one who is able to say, I understand. Doesn't matter how deep and hard and terrible or wicked your sufferings are. Christ can come to you and say, I know. And look what it says in verse 16. Knowing this high priest, knowing the 
essentialness of Christ and the effectualness of Christ and the exceptional glory of what Christ has done in His own life to to live a life for us here on this earth. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants to bless you. (laughs) Do you see that? And He is always ready to help. There is never a circumstance in your life where you cannot come boldly. And that doesn't mean walking up and saying, I'm going to get what I want. It means coming with that confident strength. God will hear me because I have this high priest at His right hand. And we come knowing that not only is He ready to help, we come knowing that there's never a circumstance in our life where we cannot come. We also come knowing there is never a time when His mercy and grace is insufficient. What has He said? 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Ask for it. And then Paul goes on to say, that's why I boast in my infirmities and afflictions and persecutions and sufferings, etc., etc. Because the sufficiency of God's grace is always there for me. Christ is never unwilling to help because He is our throne of grace who says to us, Come. I'll give you rest. Christ is essential. He is alone the mediating high priest for us. He is effectual. He is the righteous one who commands the Father's ear on our behalf. He is exceptional. He is an inexhaustible fountain of grace and mercy for us. Pray in Jesus' name. Let us pray.